Ben. I, I just don't feel like we have uh, killed this monster. No, I don't think we've killed it. And um, that puts the Fed in a very tough position. They, we never should have had, of course, zero rates. And, and so I yes. totally supported when the Fed was raising yeah. rates. He started yeah. too late. But it yeah. was important to start putting that kind of discipline back into financial choices so that there's supposed to be a trade-off between risk and reward. And you don't know what that trade-off could be if, if you have zero interest rates because they're supposed to send the price signal of what it costs to borrow capital based on the risk-reward parameter. Mm-hmm. I think when they got up by December 2022 to about 4.5%, that's where they should have stopped. Markets mm-hmm. actually liked that, and I think that's where you were hitting a traditional real rate of interest of about 2.5% plus that 2% inflation target rate. And so the nominal rate at 45 made people feel like now things are getting mm-hmm. back to normal. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is reasonable. that People actually were, were more able to borrow money because banks could say, you're a decent mm-hmm. credit risk. If yeah. everyone's just paying zero, then you can't separate the, the good from the bad. So that was nice. But that's where I think the Fed should have then stood back and said, now let's let market forces of supply mm-hmm. and demand for loanable yep. capital, they should say what the interest rate is. Let market signals start working again. And, and that would be the most helpful thing for an economy. Instead, they went too far, I think, because – they're trying to prove they were caught sleeping at the switch. <laughs> so, so now they're going to be very careful. And uh, and now they're setting it up for people to wonder, well, when are they going to start cutting again? It's the constant ratcheting up and yeah. ratcheting down that throws everything out of kilter. Just let the market have a role in, in defining the interest rate. Well, yes. Judy, you have educated us greatly. I feel like we should all pay you tuition. Thank you so much. That's Judy Shelton. <laughs> if I have my way, she will be the next Fed chairman when uh, Donald Trump takes back the White House. Judy, have a great weekend, and we will be right back. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. I'm your host, Steve Moore. Thanks so much for joining. I hope everybody's having a wonderful weekend. Uh, My next guest, uh, Shifting Gears, we're going to talk about energy policy because there's so much going on here in energy policy. And I can't think of about one thing that uh, Joe Biden has done right on energy policy as he tries to dismantle our energy production in this great country of ours. So I thought of nobody better to talk to about this than Robert Bryce. Robert has been an expert on energy policy for 30 years. He knows more about this stuff than anybody I know. He has a, um, a, uh, um, Substack that you should get. You should go to. By the way, Robert, how do people go to get that Substack? It's uh, series Robert first? Robert Bryce dot Substack dot com. Robert Bryce dot Substack dot com, which is fantastic. I read it. I I learned so much from it. And then he has a. The reason I wanted to have him on, among many others, is because he has a new um, uh, docu series that's come out called Juice Power Politics and the Grid. And uh, so, Robert, um, how do people how do people get that? 
Sure. Well, thanks. Yes, I'm really proud of this docuseries. My colleague Tyson Culver uh, directed it. Uh, it's available at juicetheseries.com. It's a five-part docuseries, five episodes, each about 20, uh, 20 minutes long. It's free, uh, and it's on YouTube. Uh, but the easiest way to find it is at juicetheseries.com. It's absolutely fantastic. Well, Robert, let's get right down to it. Um, sure. Thanks for joining again. So, number one, um, Joe Biden says uh, he's going to clap down on liquid natural gas. Is that a smart thing to do? Oh, how long do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Steve, it's just just such bad policy. I mean, as you say, I mean – this is I'm not a partisan. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. Right, I'm disgusted. Right. But this administration right. is the most anti-hydrocarbon administration in American history. And they just yep. keep doing things that are bad for consumers and bad yes. for the economy. And yep. this uh, this this suspension and bad for the environment, for, too. Right. And bad for the environment. And so this suspension on LNG export licenses is just terrible, ter- terrible for our allies in Europe. But it's good for Vladimir Putin. You've got to be thinking Xi and Putin are looking over there and saying, oh, way to go, Joe. This is yeah, really good laughing. for us. And it is. It yeah. is. It's just insane. But, you know, look at the EV thing. I know you mentioned this before we started. Yes. The EV, what has happened recently in the electric vehicle market, it's just crazy town. I mean, Hertz just a few days ago announced they're going to sell. They're going to drop <laughs> 20,000 yes. of the Teslas that they bought because they consumers aren't aren't renting them and they're higher uh, they what they they cited higher repair costs. Hertz knows a little bit about the car business and they're looking at this Tesla fleet and they're saying these are crap, we don't want them. And what yeah. is Ford doing? Ford is about to announce their earnings. In fact, they're going to do it uh, this next week. They're losing sixty or seventy thousand dollars for every EV they sell. I mean, wait, it's wait, just wait, 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 hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Say that again because that doesn't even make any sense. How can they lose sixty thousand dollars for every car they sell? I mean, how are they not bankrupt? <laughs> because they're making money on all the regular vehicles, the conventional vehicles that they sell. <laughs> I mean, yeah. They're 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 losing sixty or seventy thousand dollars for every EV that they sell, and they're oh not God. making up for it in volume. I mean, Jeez. Ford is going to record a loss this year of about four billion dollars on this electric vehicle misadventure, and it's wow. just insane. And yet, you have states like California and the Biden administration under the with their EPA saying we're going to mandate the automakers sell two thirds of their vehicles by twenty thirty two to be all electric. And I had testimony before the Senate Energy and Natural yes. Resources Committee That's last great. last month about this very issue. So it's just, again, bad policy that hurts the poor and the middle class. So uh, I read, uh, I think it was one in one of your uh, Substack columns, I, I read everything you write. You had a really interesting um, uh, uh, thoughts about how you went through back through the like the last hundred years of all these predictions about how electric sure. vehicles were going to take over. I think the first one was like 1910 or something like that. And they, you know, you had a series of these where everybody's predicting EVs are going to take over. And they've been saying that for a hundred years now. Yeah. It, it, you can find, I, 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 you know, I go to Washington every now and then, but you, anyone can get a, a, a card to go to the library of Congress. That's what I did. I went back yeah. through the, the archives there in 1901, the Los Angeles <laughs> times read an art, wrote an article that said <laughs> electric vehicles are going to take over as soon as we get a good battery. <laughs> 23 years ago, and we're still well, – we still just need a good battery. 1915, the Washington Post said – I think I can quote it directly – that prices are falling so that electric vehicles will soon be within reach of the average family. Here we are 109 years later, and they're still being bought by rich 
old white guys and Democrats, <laughs> almost all of them Democrats. Half of the was one of the other points. Cal Berkeley did a report just a few months ago that found that nearly half of all the electric vehicles in America, and this is just truly stunning, nearly half of all the EVs in America are being sold in just to a handful of the most democratic cities and counties in America. Yes, yes. This is not a mass market vehicle. It's a, it's a, it's a status symbol largely for liberal voters. And, you know, good yeah, for I, them, but – yeah. But it's not it's not a mass market vehicle. Yeah. And I'd make the case that they've actually so politicized these vehicles. There are a lot of, you know, red state conservatives who just won't buy it, you know, because it's the, I call it I call EVs the uh, the Biden cars and people <laughs> people don't want to buy Biden cars. So uh, this is a good example, in my opinion. Tell me if you agree, Robert, where politics and all these government subsidies, I think they've actually held back this industry rather than helped it. Well, look, I mean, this is, the history of the electric vehicle is a century of failure, tailgating failure. And okay. we're seeing that again, yet again. And yep. I call electric vehicles, these are, these are is driveway jewelry for rich people. You know, everyone who owns a EV generally yeah. has another conventional vehicle. So <laughs> you just can't force consumers to buy things that they don't want. And that, and these mandates, I think, California, they're going to find out that, well, maybe they go through with it. But if they go through with it, I'd sure want to be an auto dealer in Reno, you know, or Lake Tahoe. Because yeah. so well, we all these have Californians about, yeah. are going to go across the state lines and buy another conventional vehicle. Robert Bryce, you are the best. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy weekend, and have a great weekend, and we'll be right back. This is the More Money Show. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WBC Talk Radio. Now it's time for our money and finance section with one of the best in the business, Ryan Payne of Payne Capital Management. Ryan, uh, let's get right down to it. A lot to discuss uh, with the uh, economic and financial news of the week. The big uh, number, of course, was this uh, monster jobs number. You've been right about this. You've been pretty bullish on the economy, bullish on the stock market. Uh, first of all, what is your takeaway from this big um, jobs number, 350,000 jobs? It's kind of hard to argue with that. <laughs> I, mean, right. I, don't think, I don't think you need to be an economist to know that that's a pretty fantastic number, and it came in so far above expectations. Yep. And I also think it was a big deal as they revised upwards the prior two yeah. months. So you're looking at an average 300,000 jobs a month for the last three months, unemployment at 3.7% uh, and strong wage growth at 4.4% year over year. Wow, Steve, that's my reaction. Yep. Wow. <laughs> the three letter word. Wow. <laughs> I think that's right. Now the, the, we did find that the, the, uh, you know, you have the employment survey and the household survey. The household survey, again, showed a, a small decline in jobs, which means there's about a 400,000 gap between those two numbers. But uh, overall, it seemed like a very positive thing on almost all fronts. Um, now, while that was happening, that jobs number was being released, uh, the market fell a bit, the stock market, the S&P and the uh, Dow, because uh, now it seems a lot less likely, doesn't it, Ryan, that the Fed will be reducing interest rates anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, you saw the 10-year go above 4% again, um, which means March, obviously, the Fed has already said they're not going to raise rates. So the question is, in May, do they hold, the, hold down the Ford again? I think yep. they will. I think it's going to be maybe later in the year when we get closer to that election rumor has it that we have this year that you'll actually start to see some rate cutting um, because to your point, I mean, it's just the labor market's too, I don't say it's too hot, but it's hot. And also if you look at first quarter GDP, that Atlanta fed does that GDP now 
report, and that's looking at like a 4% growth rate in the first quarter, which may be a little high, but still, it's also an indication that economic growth can be pretty good in the first quarter, too. Another reason why the Fed may not want to lower interest rates too quickly here. So um, one of the things that's interesting about this uh, hot stock market is that uh, I saw a report um, the other day by one of the economic newsletters saying, and you heard Donald Trump make this claim the other day, that this is a uh, Trump effect on the market. And I kind of rolled, <laughs> as a, even as a Trump fan, I, I sort of rolled my eyes because, you know, there are a thousand things that affect the stock market. But, you know, Trump was making the case that, you know, my policies are going to be pro-growth. And as as the market becomes more um, bullish on my, you know, p- possibility of winning, that drives up the stock market. And I wonder if you have any reaction to that. <laughs> Well, he's a great promoter, and that's how you sell real estate. <laughs> so I think maybe it may be a little bit of a stretch. Um, I think you have to give some some credit to Jay Powell here, um, who yep. engineered some yep. of the soft landing. I mean, look, we're, we have the two key components here. You have inflation coming down precipitously, right? And if you look yep. at that core CPE last week, I mean, they're at their over the next, last six months. They're getting pretty close to their target of 2%. So inflation has come down a lot, and wages are staying strong. Unemployment's low. Uh, It's a great balance in the economy, but I attribute it to all the great business owners out there, um, like myself, that have done a great job navigating these last two, three years. So I give it to the the American worker and the American business for being, uh, you know, agile in a time when we had hyperinflation for a little while there, and uh, we had a lot of crazy things go on. Well, I certainly – Agree with that. And I think that, um, you know, if you look at Europe right now, uh, their growth rates are 1%, whereas, you know, we're at almost 3% with growth. So we are, Trump, uh, I mean, Biden is right that we are essentially the fastest growing economy. I mean, China's not doing well. So here's what makes me nervous, Ryan, okay? (laughs) I'm a nervous Nelly. (laughs) And uh, so, uh, we have an, my wife and I, and my wife does our investing, by the way, because I'm not very good at it, but she is. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, she's saying, well, we haven't, we had just gotten a payment for something. What should we do with this money? Should we put it into the market? And I'm nervous about it because the prices are so high right now. But what do you think? Is this, should people be pulling money out? Are we near the top? Is this too frothy right now? Or what do you think? No, no, I appreciate your perspective here, and I think you have to be very, very careful how you invest your money right now because you have these seven stocks, the Magnificent Seven. Not right. all of them, but a lot of the the handful of those stocks are, are just going straight up right now, and it's driving the entire market. So you have what you call very narrow leadership. However, when you get outside of the Magnificent Seven and you look at the rest of the market, whether you talk about small cap stocks, which are very sensitive mm-hmm. to the economy, even foreign stocks here, um, valuations are relatively cheap. Dividend yields are extremely attractive, especially if you're a baby boomer. And even yeah. with rates coming down a little bit, you're at 15 year highs in interest rates. So the bond market looks attractive too. So I'd argue it's a great time to allocate your money anywhere, but those mega cap tech names, which are doing well in the moment, um, and buying at a great value right now where you're getting income. And I know my clients need income. Um, and again, even in the bond market right now, you're still getting yields we haven't seen in 15 years. So it's a great mm-hmm. time to allocate your capital because I think your bigger risk here is there's about $6 trillion sitting in money market funds, maybe getting 5% right now. Right. Well, the Fed's probably going to cut later this year. That's going to go away. And as a famous hockey player, Wayne Gretzky, once said, you've got to skate where the so puck's the puck going. going. 
Yeah. And, and I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of investors are sitting there kind of paralysis by analysis, just sitting in cash, but that rate's going away. Still great opportunity, but you have to position your money correctly. You can't just blindly put it into the S&P 500 in those mega cap names. That's going to be a mistake. Folks, uh, we're talking to Ryan Payne, who's one of the best in the business uh, of Payne Capital Management. Just on the way out uh, is is the um, is the U.S. market still the best place, or are you looking overseas? I would say go global here. I think the U.S. is still a great place to be, but go global yeah. right now. Emerging markets like Brazil is doing phenomenally well. India is doing well. They've got young populations. Yeah. Uh, growth rates are going to be really high there. So spread your money out across the globe. Yeah, it's uh, the, the global economy is going to do well also. Folks, this is the More Money Show. It's about making money, which is why we have Ryan Payne on every week. Ryan, uh, just on the way out, uh, let people know how they can get in touch with you. Don't be shy, but you can call or text us at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692 to get your full review, Steve. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, okay, I get it. The world doesn't end very often. Uh, the economy is actually better than I thought it was going to be. I need to get on top of my finances. I got to make sure my retirement plan is on track. Well, here's your shot to do it. We literally keep 10 slots open for the entire show. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, myself and Bob will run for your total financial master plan. And we'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. No other firm out there will do this work up front. We go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal. We'll give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life and literally just hone in on every financial issue you need to address today. Whether it's an income plan for retirement, how do you take Social Security? There's a lot of ways to take it one right way for you. How do you draw from your portfolio in the most tax-efficient manner? How do you factor in inflation? We're going to build for you a dynamic income plan so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been crazy the last two years. Has your portfolio been all over the place? Or have you been sitting with way too much money in cash? Paralysis by analysis, trying to figure out what to do. We're going to put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your wealth, tie it to your goals, and make sure that we protect it against volatility. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Markets love Wall Street loves to sell you those high-cost, tax-inefficient products, whether it's an annuity, mutual fund, brokerage products, structured products. We're going to do a deep dive of every investment you own. We're going to show you how to reduce the cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. You'll get our full tax playbook. We literally have 10 slots open if you saved over a million dollars, and you call or text right now at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. 844-752-6692-844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Awesome. Uh, we'll be right back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. An American original. Talk Radio 77 WABC. And WABCradio.com. So, Bob, since it's just you and me today... And, you know, financial planning, it's always on our minds. I thought we could have a little fun today, create a little excitement. And 
we could fill in the blank. I'll start a sentence that has to do with financial planning, and we'll see how good you are after these 55-plus uh, years. <laughs> and you can fill in the blank. Fill on in the blank, seat. huh? Okay. Are, you, are you ready? Do you feel good yes. about this? Yes, All I right. do. So the first one would be the best way to be sure you don't run out of money in retirement is to blank. Oh, invest your money with paying capital management, of course. Um, <laughs> it's not a commercial, Bob. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But no, it's actually what you have to do is make sure that be, between your, your spending, right, that you compensate for the biggest, most insidious, heinous tax there is, which is inflation. You have to factor in inflation. You just can't take it back on an envelope and project what your portfolio and your passive income streams are going to be net of your budget. So first of all, you got to have a budget, right? It's got to be realistic. Yeah, no, it's a great point. That's always like ground zero, right? Is figuring out what you spend, which I always say it's a bit of art and science. It's getting all those numbers together off your credit card statements, off those automatic transfers that come out of your account, along with a little back of the napkin math on, you know, what you might not spend in retirement versus what you might spend in retirement. You know, it takes a lot of what I call uh, mental gymnastics. I used that term yeah. last week because it is kind of intense when you're trying to figure out all those numbers of what you realistically are going to spend or you're spending now in retirement. You know, Rob, I think it does, it does make a, a lot of sense, you know, to work with someone with experience. I mean, how many cases have you run where, you know, folks are shocked that they may have nursing home, you know, to pay for or need assisted living at some point or they see the cost of that, you know, well, healthcare. Um, you know, when we put the inflation numbers on healthcare, what it looks like in your 80s and 90s. Yeah, and that's what a, an online calculator doesn't do. It doesn't stack the cards against you, right? And that's what yep. you want. You want to put, throw the kitchen sink at your plan, look at all the potential healthcare costs that come out, what inflation is going to look like, uh, any other ancillary expenses. A lot mm -hmm. of times, like your travel budget may go through the roof in retirement, yep. but you want to look at all those different expenses you could possibly have. And then look at like, hey, look, if we don't have all these expenses, surprises are in the positive. That should be the goal for everybody is make the surprises in the positive, not the negative when it comes to your financial plan. Well, I think that sums it up, right? Like a great financial advisor, a great financial planner is your advocate and your adversary, right? They, they keep you in check, right? They make sure that you don't make those mistakes. Um, you know, it sounds great. Hey, let's take the entire family to Europe, you know, for a ski trip. Um, you know, and then next year we'll do a safari, right? And it, all of a sudden, you know, they, when you start eating the principle, it doesn't work. And and that's why you need those wealth projections. You need the tools. You need the science, you know, that go along with the art of, of a great financial advisor. All right, Bob. So next statement, the all stock right. market has the ability to blank. Confound the majority opinion at the time. My goodness, Rye. You know, everybody I've ever met projects the future based on the most recent experience, and they're always wrong. Well, I think the one thing we can say is the experts don't get it right very often, and last year is a perfect example. Every expert said bear market, recession. They weren't a little wrong, Bob. They were way wrong. Well, fortunately, you know, I had some really great mentors back in my, in my day at Merrill Lynch, and one of my mentors always said when – when all the experts agree on one thing, it's going to do the opposite. <laughs> it's just, you know, the obvious information, the obvious trade is always the wrong trade, right, as you always say. It really is. And I think the other thing is when you think about the markets in general, they're very emotional. Mm -hmm. um, they have the ability to make you feel greedy, they make you feel nervous, make you feel sad. Um, so, you know, one of our, our, our big tenants at our firm 
is you want to tie your investments to your goals, not to what's happening recently in the markets, because that is just a recipe for disaster. Because on any given year, we have no idea what the markets are going to do. Experts like to tell you they think no, they, they know what's going to happen. And that's why it's so, so important to build everything around your goals, because your goals don't move the way emotions do and markets do every day. Well, that's like, you know, you're talking about earlier, speaking earlier in our podcast about your pet peeve, about the focus on the Federal Reserve and, you know, how many experts kept saying, but Jerome Powell said, but Jerome Powell said, well, you know, how come these guys don't know that the Fed is a lagging indicator, right? They're dependent on the data. So whatever they say is meaningless. It has nothing to do with what they're actually going to do. No one seems to know that. Yeah, you can't take them at face value when, you know, typically they do something different than what they said six months ago. (laughs) Their opinion can change on the dime. In fact, I mean, if you looked at the futures market, they were predicting that we were like going to have like, I don't know, 60, 70%. They're going to cut rates in March. That Mm -hmm. dropped like a rock within a week. So those predictions all went out the window just like that. So, you know, those short-term moves are just really, really unhelpful. But more importantly, when it comes to the stock market, we're going to talk about has the ability to blank. It also has the ability to generate income over time. Um, Bonds have the ability to generate income over time. And you have the ability to create an income plan that's more consistent than the ups and downs of the short-term markets, which are Mm -hmm. much more reliable when you're trying to build an income plan for retirement, much, much smarter way to look at investing your money. It's one of the reasons why, you know, value stocks outperform growth stocks over time because of the dividend increases. You know, I go back and I look at some of my investments where, you know, based on my cost basis, I have 19, 20% current yields. Um, <laughs> I'll take that any day over. Did the market go up or down today? Yeah, right now you have such a great cash flow rich environment to build that income plan for retirement. And most people aren't doing that. They're sitting in cash getting their 5%, waiting for the Fed to cut so their 5% goes to 3%, um, or they're buying growth stocks or mega cap stocks that pay no dividends. So you have to be really smart and selective here to build your portfolio for the long term for retirement, which brings me to my next statement, Bob, that Uh-oh. you need to fill in the blank for, which is you should run the other way if a financial advisor tells you blank. Well, I got a whole list for that one, Rye. You know, the first one is when you hear the word guaranteed, um, you absolutely need to run. Um, guaranteed does not exist in the investment world. That sounds like an annuity, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in all fairness, it's contractually guaranteed by a corporation. Um, but, again, that doesn't really mean guaranteed in my mind. Uh, so it's just that anytime you hear guaranteed, I want you to run, not walk to the nearest exit. That's right. And they tell you it's just a thin veneer of insurance on top <laughs> of your investment. That means they're charging you a lot of fees. <laughs> so, exactly. And as we like to say, a lot of insurance products and brokerage mm-hmm. products are sold, not bought. And, you know, a lot of times, Bob, I like your analogy about Chinese food. We use it a lot, but it's like, you know, sometimes that pitch on annuities, income for life, or some of these structured products of brokerage firms, they feel so good. They taste so good going down, but you feel so empty later. So you got to be really careful with some of these pitches that you get from these big brokerage firms, and a lot of times you do need to run the other way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's amazing, right? I think our, our brains are just wired a certain way where certain numbers or certain words, you know, trigger us. I mean, we go back to Halloween, you know, when we had our don't get spooked by the markets fireside chat with our clients. And I remember talking about, you know, advisors were, were getting calls from our clients saying, well, why don't we take everything and just put it in the 5% money market fund? It's guaranteed, you know, 5%, you know, in treasuries or whatever. 
Um, and we said, well, you know, why wouldn't you just put that into large value or put it into, you know, real estate where they're generating a dividend of 4% plus you get appreciation. And I think, you know, both of those investments went up 5% the next week. Um, and so when you think 5%, that's an annualized number. And I think a lot of times when these advisors or these salespeople make these pitches, you know, they pitch it to something that sounds really good. But, you know, when you just uh, you know, pull up the cellophane, you find out it's not so hot. <laughs> a lot of that in our industry, buyer beware, you got to be careful out there. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, myself and Bob and our team at Payne Capital will run for you our total financial master plan and we'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. There's not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal. We give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life and we'll hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's that income plan for retirement. How do you take Social Security? There's a lot of ways to take it, but one run right way for you. How do you draw from your portfolio the most tax-efficient way? We'll give you a full income plan, factor in inflation, so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been all over the place, up and down. Has your portfolio been extremely volatile? Or have you been sitting in cash? Paralysis by analysis. Can't figure out what to do. We'll put together a full diversified investment game plan, show you how to grow your wealth, tie it to your goals, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high cost, tax inefficient products, whether it's an annuity, mutual fund, insurance product, brokerage product. We're going to go through every investment you have, deep dive. We're going to show you how to reduce all the internal cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's now what you make. It's what you take. You'll get our full tax playbook. We literally have four slots left. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, all you need to do is call or text at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. If you call or text us right now at 844-752-6692, that's 844-PLAN-NYC, 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, you want to know more about myself and Bob and our firm, Payne Capital Management, simply go to bebullish.com. That's bebullish.com. We got more, more money coming your way. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Good afternoon, folks. This is the More Money show this is wbc talk radio the number one talk radio station in these united states always such a privilege and a pleasure to be able to talk to you every saturday afternoon we're on from 1 to 2 p.m thank you for my regular listeners we have a great audience and we have a uh, really good ratings so i really appreciate you listening in and if you're a new caller i think you'll enjoy the show we talk about economics we talk a little bit about politics we talk about finance, and we talk about your money, and that's why we call it the More Money Show. So thank you so much for joining. A lot to talk about this week. I have a completely full uh, show, so unfortunately this weekend I will not be taking your calls, but next weekend I will. I'm going to make a special uh, – going to carve out special time to take your calls because I love to hear 
what you have to say about what's going on in our great country. But I want to start with talking about uh, this tax bill that is moving through Congress. Uh, many of you who were listening last week remember that I had on the show Jason Smith, who is the head of the tax writing committee in the House of Representatives, and he made the case for this bill. And I think there are a lot of good things in this bill that are important. Most importantly is we have got to make Trump's tax cuts permanent. We have to. Uh, Trump tax cuts, which were written by Art Laffer and Larry Kudlow and myself and a few other advisors, and Trump completely embraced it and worked his butt off to make sure that that happened. It was a great victory for slower taxes and for smarter taxes and for more American competitiveness. Uh, the, the tax bill worked. It worked just as we had hoped. In fact, I used to, when I'd go visit Trump in the Oval Office, I used to joke with them that, you know, the effect of those tax cuts even surpassed our expectations. In other words, we made certain claims about how much money would flow back to the United States, how many jobs we would create, how this would benefit American companies in the technology industry and manufacturing and construction and uh, all sorts of areas, retail. And we, we saw that exact uh, phenomenon happen where the tax cut surpassed our expectations. And, and this is an important lesson, folks, that tax cut by Donald J. Trump, which cut small business tax rates, it, it's cut the highest income tax rate from 40 to 37% for all taxpayers in the ho- highest income category. By the way, everybody got a tax cut out of that bill. Uh, it also um, redu- reduced our corporate tax rate from the highest in the world to uh, the middle, which had a big impact on bringing money back. And my point is that the, that if you look at what happened to the tax revenues that come into the government, we actually raised revenue. We raised revenue from that tax cut. And why? Because the economy grew faster, because we had more businesses that were making more money. They were hiring more people. It worked like a charm. And so yet the Democrats want to repeal this whole thing, probably because they just hate anything that has to do with Donald Trump, right? If Trump did it, then it must be wrong. That's their their attitude. Uh, they are out to extinguish everything that he did, uh, and they want to put him in jail for 500 years. That's the anti-Trump derangement syndrome that is affecting not only our politics, but our economic policy. So we need to make those tax cuts permanent, and Jason Smith wants to extend them for another couple of years. And then we will have a big debate in 2025 after the election about whether we make them permanent. I believe that we should. Now, for those of you who are regular listeners to my show, you know that I want to have a flat tax. I want to get rid of all of the deductions, all the carve-outs, all the special interest provisions in the tax code, all of them. Get rid of it all and lower the tax rate to, I don't know, 17, 18, 19 percent. Everybody pays that share. You get a deduction for yourself and your kids, and that's it. Not for, you know, investing in bull sperm and windmills and solar panels and electric vehicle, you know, batteries and all these things. We're giving tax breaks out to every Tom, Dick, and Harry. And that is not a good tax system. We want a tax system that provides low tax rates to provide the the minimum distortion to our economy, uh, but a broad tax base to make sure everyone is paying their fair share. I had to laugh that um, – 
our, our good friend Bernie Sanders was at it again, saying, oh, the rich are paying their fair share. They should pay more. And these corporate CEOs are making too much money. He was on his grandstand uh, going on and on about this. Uh, and yet, if you look at the evidence, what's happening with tax policy is that the rich are paying a higher share of the taxes than ever before. So this may surprise you, or it may not, because we have an educated audience, but I'm sure for the average American, this would surprise them, that the top 1%, the richest one out of 100 Americans, pay 41% of the income tax. 41%. The top 10%, the people in the top 10% category, pay over 60% of the taxes, and the people in the bottom 50% pay less than 5% of the income taxes. So the idea that the rich aren't paying their fair share is absurd. It's crazy. Now, I want the rich to pay more, but you know how you make the rich pay more? You have a better economy. Everybody makes more money, and guess what? They pay more taxes. So that's what happened under the Trump tax cut. I think we should make it permanent. But we got a curveball here. Now, the Democrats and a number of New York Republicans want to bring back something called the uh, state and local tax deduction. It's also known as the salt deduction. It's not because it deducts salt, as in the stuff you sprinkle on your food. It It, it is a basically a giveaway to high-tax states. And look, I know I may make some of you angry who are listening to this show because many of you list, live in Connecticut and New Jersey and New York, and you are three of the five highest tax states in the country. So the benefit of bringing back the salt deduction would go to the, the, the vast majority of the benefit go to the richest 1%, and it would go to the, peop- the rich people who live in New York and California and New Jersey. And I'm sorry, that's a bad policy. If you're upset about how much taxes you're paying in New York, as you should be, and people are so upset about the high taxes in New Jersey and New York that they've moved out of those states to Florida and Texas where there's no income tax. But come on, there's no reason that a, a, a taxpayer in Tennessee or Texas or Florida or Idaho should have to bear the burden of your ta- high taxes in New York. It's not fair. You choose to live in New York. You you all, and I know many of you voted against these people, but the fact is the citizens of New York and the citizens of New Jersey voted for the high-tax crowd. So don't come crying to us and saying, gee, we need a deduction for the high taxes that our politicians are imposing on us. So I'm against the SALT deduction. Do not bring it back. There are five New York uh, Republicans, mainly in the uh, Long Island area. And, and by the way, I'm friends with many of them, but I think they're dead wrong on this. No way. We should get rid of the SALT deduction entirely and continue to lower tax rates. And if you don't like your high taxes in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, do what several million other people have been doing, move out of those states or elect different people. But don't blame it on Texas and Tennessee and uh, Utah that you have high taxes in your own state. You elected these people. You deserve it. I feel the same way, by the way, about this issue of the – Sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. And many of you listening to this show live in a sanctuary city or sanctuary state. If you live in New York City, for example, that's a sanctuary city. And guess what? I'm from Chicago. We're a sanctuary city. And uh, now all the uh, migrants that are coming in illegally are being shipped 
and and uh, and bust to uh, places like Chicago, places like New York, places in New Jersey. And now the same people and the mayors who said we want to be a sanctuary city are saying, oh, wait a minute, we don't want these people. We can't afford to have them. How hypocritical is that? If if you're if you wanted to be a sanctuary city, you were saying, come on in, come on in. We'll take you. Well, they're here. And now uh, the left is complaining we don't have enough money and they're running the federal government for more money. No, that's not the way it works, folks. You wanted them. You got them. And again, when I say you, I don't mean necessarily the people listening to this show. I mean, the voters of New York, the voters of New Jersey, the voters of Connecticut that have absurdly invited in illegal immigrants and then they don't want to pay for the cost of that um i want to bring up a couple of other subjects that are hot on my mind right now because i i do want to see this tax bill pass but i do not want to see uh the salt deduction brought back now a second issue i want to bring up to you you may have seen that uh, john Kerry, the doofus who's been uh the climate change uh czar for uh, for um, our president, Joe Biden, is uh, resigning his post. He's going to work on the campaign now. Now, I, th- I happen to think that he did a horrific job. I think he was a terrible climate change czar. He would go across, he would take planes all over the world to all these climate change conferences. He'd eat, eat caviar and lobster and, sink sh- uh, and drink champagne with all these highfalutin uh, liberals. And they'd complain about climate change. But did they do anything? No. <laughs> None of their policies did a, a damn thing. I mean, John Kerry come back. Oh, we've got to deal with the Chinese. We've got to deal with the India. India. We've got to deal with this country and that country. No, you don't. No, you don't. China. China doesn't care about climate change. Come on. You think anybody in the really is anyone listening to the show naive enough to think that China cares about climate change? I guarantee you. They do not. They are laughing behind our backs that we are dismantling our energy here in the U.S. of A. While China builds scores of new uh, coal plants, they're using more uh, gas and oil than ever before. And they're laughing at us because we have more oil, gas and coal than any other country. Many of you have heard me say this before, but we are so richly endowed with resources. And now you've got... Um, uh, Joe Biden, who's saying, oh, we're going to cut off our liquefied natural gas exports, which is crazy because liquefied natural gas is a clean burning fuel. Natural gas is everything you want on a fuel, folks. It is clean burning. It is efficient. It's reliable. It's cheap. It's made in America. And I'll say it again. It reduces pollution levels. There is a reason that the United States of America has reduced our carbon emissions more than any other country uh, in the world over the last 10 years because we've been shifting to natural gas and now Biden wants to shut it down. Can you, <laughs> I'm not making this stuff up, folks. I am not. He wants to shut down our liquefied natural gas, which by the way, this reduces our trade deficit because we're able to sell it to foreigners. It creates jobs in the United States. It cleans up the environment. It reduces our budget deficit because we gain tax revenues. Can someone please explain to me why there is this war against American energy? In any case, uh, Biden wants to shut down our liquefied natural gas, and he is replacing John Kerry with a guy named John Podesta. Now, those of you who follow politics 
probably know who he is. If you've never heard of John Podesta, that means you're a normal person who doesn't have to pay too much attention to politics. But John Podesta is a super smart guy. He's incredibly well-connected. He's a, he's a Democratic fundraiser, and he's very good at it. He's liberal as his day is long. And he's like, he's, uh, he's, um, knows nothing about climate change. He's not a scientist. He doesn't know anything about climate. He doesn't know more about climate change than you or I do. The only difference is he's drunk the Kool-Aid and he gets his information about climate change from the New York Times. And so I'm here to tell you that what he's going to do in that job, that job is not about, re- you know, stopping the rise of the ocean. That job is not about, uh, you know, making sure that the global temperature doesn't rise by another uh, you know, degree centigrade. What that job is about is passing out $400 billion in green energy subsidies to all of the Democrats' friends and lobbyists. It doesn't have anything to do with climate change. These are just pay-to-play. You give money to the Democratic National Committee, and they'll give you a big, fat grant from the Inflation Reduction Act. So – this is absurd. I want the Republicans, the first thing they do when Donald Trump is elected president is get rid of this $400 billion. And again, I, I'm sorry I repeat myself because I talk about this week after week on this show. A final thing, and then we'll take our break. And I've got a great show lined up for you folks. Uh, I've always been very, very um, open to Nikki Haley. Uh, most of you know I'm a Trump guy. I, I, I worked for Trump in 2016 on his campaign. I'm working with him. Now on his campaign as one of senior economic advisors, and it's a great honor to do that. And by the way, I know many of you don't like Donald Trump. That's fine. I mean, people have very different opinions. I have members of my family who don't like Donald Trump. So I'm not here to sell you on Donald Trump. But I will say this, that I think that what Nikki Haley did the other day was outrageous, outrageous. I'm done with Nikki Haley. I wonder how you guys feel about this, because I know we have people of all sorts of different persuasions. I know we have independent voters, and and Nikki Haley is popular with some of the independent voters. I know we have Republicans, Democrats, and I appreciate everyone of every ideology uh, and every political preference listening to my show. Uh, I have fun with it, and I have fun um, getting the feedback from you. Um, One last thing before we go to our break. I want to remind everybody to get our free Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline, which comes out every morning. There's no inflation here, folks. It is absolutely free. Just go to committee to unleash prosperity.com. That's committee to unleash prosperity.com and sign up for the hotline and we will email that to you five mornings a week and you will be the smartest person in the room if you get it. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show. I'll be right back. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio. Uh, I hope everyone is having a wonderful weekend. Uh, I am so proud uh, to have our next guest, who I believe is going to be the next chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. And if I have my way and Donald Trump wins the election, I am going to try to get Donald Trump to nominate 
uh, Judy Shelton, who's one of the experts on our monetary system in America, to be the next fair chairman. She is super smart. She's a wonderful person. She's one of the top economists in the country. Judy, thanks for joining. Well, I don't know what to say. I'm so honored that an economist for whom I have the greatest respect would would have say such a uh, uh, pay me such a compliment. But thanks <laughs> well, so thank, much. I appreciate th- it. Thanks. And I know you've got a busy weekend, so I appreciate you covering out a little time for us. So, Judy, uh, most of our listeners are smart people, but we're all we're all kind of intimidated by the Federal Reserve Board. A lot of us don't exactly know how it works over there in this temple. Uh, and so. Um, it's just it seems it's like it's needlessly complex, but let's start with the simple question, okay? Do you think, Judy, that the inflation problem is behind us? Because as you know, Judy, we get calls from our listeners every week saying they are so angry about the price of groceries, the price of gasoline, the price of their mortgages. And so a lot of people that you know are living on Main Street. They don't share this exuberance that inflation is behind us. But what say you? Well, I I think that people have taken the hit because the inflation has been inflicted upon all of us through no yep. fault of our own. Right. And and we can never recover the damage that has already been done. Even if right. inflation going forward went to zero. We all know what a shock it is to go into the market and see things costing right. r- roughly 20 to 30 percent more than the, than the last time we remembered being able to buy. Ju- Judy, Judy, I went to the grocery store with my wife, Ann, because she always says to me, Steve, you have no idea how much things really cost because she does mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the shopping. And and so I went with her last weekend and it was like eight dollars and 50 cents for a box of Cocoa Krispies. I mean, like, what, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> I mean, the I think everybody is suffering from the sticker, sticker shock of, you know, I think groceries are up since Trump came into I mean, Biden came into office by 25 percent. Yeah, no, that that's the sad part because that's really expropriation by the by right. the government. Um, that was your earning power, mm-hmm. and um, that was taken away. Now, what are we looking at going forward? Yeah, what's what's really frightening is that the Fed can't figure out in a way why this happened. Um, this <laughs> was not their way of yeah. how they were going to to tackle it. And uh, I mean, I think the toughest thing for for Chair Powell right now would be to answer the question: Why did inflation come yes. down? I mean, did did well, people well, lose hold on, their hold job? on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Que- I think the question, the first question is: Why did it go up? You know, I mean, what what do you think was the uh, trigger that you know, as you know. When Donald Trump left office, the inflation rate was less than two percent, and then eighteen months later, it's nine point one percent. What happened? I I think you just put your finger on it. As as much as the Fed insists that price stability is a responsibility of the Federal Reserve, it is really the fault of overspending. Yes. It is the the yes. fiscal transfers yes. and yep. and and running a fiscal stimulus program at a time like this is just reckless. It's yes. it's the deficit spending. Yep, by this yep. administration, yep. it's it's the money that the government is shelling out directly into into the pockets of people yep. who are willing to incur whatever the requirements are to get these subsidies from the government right. and have the government be in charge of the projects. 
I, I think that's so well said. <laughs> and I'm glad you said it because I feel the same way, but I'm glad that the world's expert on monetary policy agrees with me. So that means one of, here's my response to what you just said. And again, correct me if I'm wrong because I don't always get it right, but you do. So I've been saying, you know, the most, most important thing, if we want to make sure that inflation doesn't come back, uh, like it did in 2021 and 22 is to cut government spending, cut excessive debt spending. Do you agree with that? I definitely agree with that, but it's not just that it's a an accounting formula. Uh-huh. Uh, it's also when you when you have inflation coming down the way it has, I attribute that not to decreasing demand, which is what the Fed was trying to do, trying to right. slow down the economy. That didn't happen. What saved us and what will continue to save us in the future is increasing supply. And so just by cutting yes. back on yep. government, you are shifting power back over to the private sector. And that's where you get productive growth, genuine growth, the kind of stable growth that really produces uh-huh. prosperity. I mean, a lot of what's counting as GDP growth is the influence of, of government payments, government jobs, yes. even yes. the Fed paying uh, over 5% on on close to uh, $4.5 trillion in cash, that's that's throwing money out there. The Fed is paying yep. banks and money market mutual funds not to make loans, keep that money sitting at the Fed. That's how they raise interest rates, by raising that rate of interest they pay. And that alone, that counts as income. That goes into the yep, GDP yep, number. Yep, yep. So it's, like not, almost a, it's almost like artificial. Sure. Well, it's so artificial. It's 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 sad because that yeah. capital could be doing something productive. Now they're paying money. They create the money to pay that interest to do mm-hmm. nothing. And yet the people <laughs> receiving that interest counted as income. And that goes into the GDP number. So, uh, Judy, I'm talking to Judy Shelton, the brilliant uh, monetary economist. Uh, and Judy, um, can you explain to people? Because uh, there's so much that's just mystifying to all of us about what the Fed does. But can you explain what it means when you have the Fed buying assets and putting them up on their balance sheet? Is that a good thing, a bad thing? Should they be doing more of it, less of it? Because uh, I've heard figures like in the trillions of dollars on the Fed balance sheet, and I don't think we exactly understand what that means. Well, that these are the, the three main tools the Fed talks mm-hmm. about its toolbox um, ad nauseum in a way, because first off, one tool is forward guidance. And we saw from the press conference yesterday that has become meaningless. That used to be a powerful tool (laughs) in the toolbox. Now it's um, meeting to meeting, which means ad hoc, which really means seat of the pants. So that one's gone. The other one is, as you say, buying assets. That was quantitative easing. That was large-scale purchases of treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities that went into the Fed's portfolio, they're whittling that down, but they still have over $7 trillion in that portfolio. And the whole idea under Bernanke, starting in 2008, of buying those government assets was to stimulate the economy. It did mm-hmm. not. We saw what happened from 2008, really, right up until um, President Trump came in. The Fed didn't even start raising again until the last until December of 2015, just just as Trump was coming in the following year. And then they started raising big time. 
So I want to go back to the balance sheet because you just said something really interesting. You know, you were saying that the Fed is buying treasury bills and holding them in their in their vault, essentially. And so I want to make sure people understand what's going on here. So it starts with the politicians are spending all this money, right? They're spending trillions and trillions of dollars. But the tax revenues don't cover it, so they have to borrow. So they the the Treasury Department is issuing debt, right, to pay for that spending. And then what you're saying, if I understand you correctly, is then the Federal Reserve Board, another arm of our government, is buying the debt. Well, isn't that just a way of kind of printing money? It is printing money. And the Fed is the largest holder of U.S. government debt. The Fed owns the biggest wow. chunk of it. Wow. So this is um, this is why it's so com- complicit yeah. in the the inflation that resulted. Because yes, it's it's the result of government overspending. But by purchasing that debt, yep. the Fed accommodated it. And that's what yeah. we mean by monetary accommodation. So, now, so they were the it, enabler. Yeah. Isn't that what gets countries in trouble? I mean, when you look at a country like Argentina or, I mean, you've been all over the world talking to monetary, you know, when you look at these companies like, uh, you know, uh, Mexico or Argentina that have runaway inflation, isn't that exactly what they do is they buy up their debt and just print money? Every country that wants to, get out of this terrible situation. Mm-hmm. And I think back to Poland, um, Bolserowicz, yeah. the first thing he did as finance minister is he said it is prohibited from now on ah. for the central bank to purchase government debt. Ah. We see what I- Javier Millet is doing in Argentina. He wants to abolish the central bank because this is how governments um, carry out the worst conflict of interest possible. They overspend, yes, and then the bank buys it up, and then the bank ends up injecting that money into the economy. Yeah. Or in our case, the bank then yeah. pays the holders of the cash that the Fed created to keep it corralled. And that way they well, end up yeah. paying them not to spend it, <laughs> but that's how they keep it from going into the economy to some extent. And then the rest of us pay the high interest rates that are required yeah. to maintain that approach. Amazing. I mean, I hope people are paying close attention to this. We're trying to keep it as simple as possible. These are complex, uh, you know, uh, transactions that are going on in Washington. But I think the bottom line, and we only have a couple minutes left, Judy, and I so much appreciate your time. So what is your, where, where do you think inflation is headed? Uh, the Fed thinks that they're going to get it, you know, keep it at, you know, 3%. Their target is uh, 2%, which I think is an appropriate target. But, you know, I'm looking at the commodity index. Commodities are starting to creep up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.